Well, welcome back to Three Part Par. This is episode number 26. I'm your host. My name is Mike Caridi. We are graced uh, with Australian podcast uh, luminary guest this week. He's already laughing at me, uh, which is probably a good start to a standard podcast. Um, we've got Marshy on. I'm going to call you Marshy. Is that, is that easy? Does anyone call you Kieran? Uh, I mean my wife and I'm in trouble, Mike, uh, <laughs> which is generally if I stayed out playing golf for too long. Uh, yes. but, but very rarely. And a couple of people at work, but that's because they don't know the alter ego of the person that sits behind a microphone every so often. It's a great pleasure uh, to be joining you on this this here podcast, Mike. It's, uh, it's wild to think that these are two people uh, who connected via the realms of the internet, ran yep. into each other on, I think, was the back of the 11th green at Royal yes. Queensland had a wonderful afternoon and here we are a few short months later having a chat on your on your fine podcast it's a pleasure it's funny how that sort of stuff all comes together because I, I, I met Ross um same way so I met Ross through I met met Ross through uh socials and um I'm just <laughs> Matt Mollick is gonna hate me saying this but <laughs> Maddie Mollicker and I met at the original um random golf club meetup that like before Random Golf Club was a thing, Eric came to town. <laughs> um, so yeah, but for you, 19th podcast. So for anyone that, that's uh, trying to figure out what, well, I'm just calling you a uh, podcast luminary. So tell us a bit about 19th Yeah. So uh, let's, 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 let's dial it back a few steps. Kieran Marsh, co host of the 19th T yeah. podcast, uh, which I know that you are a great fan and we appreciate your fellowship. Look, it was a project really uh, that was born out of a a desire to continue talking to one of my best mates. Yep. Uh, Nathan and I nice. met, uh, yeah, Nathan, my co-host, Nathan Drudy. Nathan and I met when I was living on the other side of the country in his native Perth. Uh, we actually worked together, sat all of um, two feet away from each other and everything that you hear kind of week in, week out of the podcast was kind of like throwing a microphone in the middle of a day at work uh, and and I'm an East Coaster. I'm born and bred and, bred and Brizzy and um, after got married over in Perth, my wife's from the Gold Coast. We always had intended on moving back to start a family and and have that support network. And it was kind of like you spend five days a week with a person for three years and then all of a sudden you're jumping across the other side of the country. We want to ensure that we stay in touch because it's a great friendship that we've we've built. And how do we ensure that that's not like many other things that just slip away through the, you know, the the parity of distance so it was Nath's idea like we both loved the game um it was kind of at a stage where there wasn't much of this in the Australian market obviously mm. some some pretty big name podcasts overseas which I'm sure we'll talk about but yeah. there wasn't a lot in our market and and probably more to the point there wasn't a lot speaking to our demographic and I feel as though a desire to talk to guys like ourselves who we feel weren't necessarily being serviced was where it started and you know, here we are four and a half, five odd years later and it, it's almost harder to stop than it is to keep going on, to be honest. Uh, you're right. It's true. You're not wrong. That That's something come Christmas. So I'd only started Open Championship Week last year. Come Christmas, when I had like three or four weeks off in a row, I was like, oh, I feel a little bit guilty. I should mm. be doing – I mean, no one would listen to it anyway, but it's like a, I don't know what I'd talk about, Christmas gifts or something like that, but – I don't know. It, it is different to to think about just stop doing it. It makes it would be much harder than continuing to do it. And I think it's it, obviously as you you get older, you start having kids. Nath just had um, his first little yes. daughter Pippa with his beautiful wife Amy, and 
and your priorities shift and they change. But I still, for me, it's it's as much about having that hour a week where I talk to one of my best mates about a joint passion as it is um, talking to a, a community of passionate people who you know give their time and and I still find it wild. I'm sure you do as well that you know people will message you and reach out to you mm. and often in disagreement and that's perfectly fine uh, but it still means that they're taking a window of time out of their life to listen to something that you you know you talk about on a Monday night with one of your best mates so it's you know it's evolved and it's changed and and focuses have shift but uh, it's it's a great pleasure I think to continue to do that with a, a guy that um you know I, I love like a brother and and we have a great time doing it every week so it's uh yeah it, it's it's been a, it's been a hell of a ride and I know that you and I, but and when I say you and I, me, uh, I forgot that you're in Brisbane and daylight savings doesn't exist there. <laughs> Obviously, two hour difference back to back to Perth. How's that been over summer? Yeah, look, it's it's an interesting juggle. A lot of the time, I actually think like I was probably only thinking about this properly today, knowing that you and I were going to have a chat tonight. I even think it's interesting of where we are, right? Like if you if you think about, you know, as I said when we started four and a half odd years ago there weren't many people in this space in australia there's obviously a lot more now and uh, some great podcasts doing great things but it's rare not to be based in my estimation at least in victoria yeah as an australian golf podcast and then maybe as a substitute in sydney uh so to have two what i'd call minor markets for golf outside of those two in terms of brisbane and perth is interesting in and of itself and then the juggle with time differences we tend to, particularly over the summer, do a lot of interviews with players when they're when they're playing, you know, the Challenger Tour of Australasia, and that in and of itself is a challenge because you'll find that the tournaments in Sydney or in Melbourne and Nate's three hours behind them, and I'm two, I'm an hour behind them, and so we don't want to be keeping them up too late. So it's a juggle, but I think we've been fortunate in the sense that we've probably built a bit of currency where we'll work around each other, no doubt about that. Um, particularly, he's been very good to me with young kids and and I'll afford him the same, you know, yeah. currency, get back the other way. But we've been fortunate, I think, to build a, a bit of currency within particularly the playing group here domestically in Australia where people are happy to jump on and have a chat and and we've been endlessly grateful for that. That was my next question. So you, you guys obviously, and we talked a little bit about it when we caught up at the um, Aussie PGA, you guys have kind of not you do talk about all sorts of golf, but you're definitely probably the most easily the most focused on the Australian season or Australian golf than any other podcaster coming out of Australia. Has that been like obviously you've got touch points now, you can do some interviews and getting more. Has that sort of gained traction over time or was it something that you found a bit difficult to sort of really get a handle on people? Look, I think Mike, it it, it it's probably something that snuck up us, snuck up on us a bit. Like we started out and and we were trying to be everything to everyone. Uh, and I think in the back of our minds, naively, we maybe thought that. Uh, and I don't think we're you know selling any state secrets here because I think in one way, shape, or form, we're all influenced by a no laying up or by a fried egg or by a shotgun start. But we started out thinking we could be that to Australia and yep. and thinking like. An Australian voice talking to Australians, not necessarily replacing it, but at least complementing it with an Australian perspective. And I think over time we've realised that there's a lot of people who want to tell you about the PGA Tour to a lesser mm. extent, 
um, the DP World Tour and now increasingly about the Live Tour, so much so that our tour here gets neglected. And and some of our favourite conversations through those early stages were talking to the players here who are not the top 0.001%. They're not your... Back then it was Adam Scott, Jason Day, an emerging Cameron Smith, Mark Leishman. Now it's, you know, Minwoo Lee, Cam Davis, Lucas Herbert. They're not that level of player. Yeah. They're guys that are, you know, whether they're emerging like a Louis Dobler or a Jed Morgan, who's, a, who's become a great friend, or whether they're journeymen. Like, it was great to see Matt Griffin win the other week. This is a guy who people like that in his cohort have, to my mind, been the backbone of the domestic tour for the better part of 15 years. Like, yeah. we wanted to ensure that we shone a spotlight on those guys because they don't deserve it any less. It just so happens that they're doing it here in a market that's not as large as the States. Yeah. So I think for us, it became about what's our what can be our true point of difference because there's a lot of great podcasts doing great things in Australia from a golf perspective, um, but we needed to find a niche and we needed to find a point of difference, much like I think you have with the gambling aspect. So it, it snuck up on us, but I think it's a decision that we consciously made probably 18 months ago to to really shift to focusing on the tour here at home. And I know it's certainly not one that we regret. I think it's it's paid dividends for us. Yeah, it's good to listen to. I mean, at the end of the day, you're knowledgeable on it. And anytime someone's knowledgeable on something and they're sharing it and telling good stories and, like you said, some of the interviews, something different, something interesting, That, that that's mm-hmm. key. And no one else is doing it. You know, like we obviously I talk about the Aussie Tour and we'll talk about the Vic Open uh, events. But yeah, there's a different level of what you're talking to in the same way that people will put tips out on an on a you know a podcast or talk about bits and pieces. That I'll be like, if you want an email that literally tells you ten million things that you don't really want to know, let me know because that's what I do. <laughs> so everyone's just got their own little, like you said, their own little their own little bit that they're focusing on. And I think that's the great thing about golf, in the sense that. It's not the same thing to everyone, right? Like you look at the numbers that were put out by Golf Australia, I think it was uh, November, December last year, the, the census for want of a better term of golf, and it's I think it was up to one in five Australians now playing or engaging in golf in some way, shape or form. But that's increasingly not, you know, tenants on the weekend or yeah. going to play 18 holes. It's It's – Putt-putt, it's screen golf, it's a whole variety of different avenues. And I think that that's a kind of metaphor for golf podcasts because you speak to a community and, you know, Maddie and Scott do a great job on the Aussie Golf Passport talking about courses. And, you know, Roscoe does a great job in his angle of mile of golf. And, you know, the Teared Up boys have come and they're talking to a different section of the community as well. So it's interesting in the sense that, where we maybe thought first in, it's a bit of a land grab, we'll build a following. It's probably evolved in the sense that if you listen to us, you do it for a reason. Mm. And if you don't, that's perfectly fine too because yeah. you'll find there's a vice out there for you, I'm sure. 100%. Couldn't agree more. I think uh, I think you really summed it up quite well when everyone everyone looks at No Laying Up as the, as the pinnacle um, and we all have taken a shine to a lot of their stuff and um, all would love to have something the size of that, but um, for me now, it's like, I like what I do. Uh, you know, it takes a bit of time to churn out the email and the podcast is pretty easy, but, um, if someone gets something out of it, great. And if there's, you know, there's probably 
it's 50 or 60 people on the email now. If it gets to 100, if it gets to 60 in two years' time, I don't care. As long as someone's getting something out of it and enjoying it, great. Like, I'm happy to mm. share it. It's not going to be something I'm ever going to charge people for. Um, and that's it. And I think it's a good representation, like you said, of the way different people are interacting with the game itself. So I was at dinner on Friday night. Um, a friend of mine, Melinda. So thank you, Melinda, firstly, because she um, got me a free dinner. So big shout out to Melinda. <laughs> um, she took five of us out to a really nice restaurant in Carlton and we're all sitting there. And two of the boys, were, sorry, three of the boys were talking about live golf. Now, sitting opposite side of the table from me and, and they don't know, they know that I like golf, but don't know that I wouldn't be less interested in going to live. And that's just my personal opinion. And they would, wouldn't stop talking about it. Now, two of the boys don't play golf at all, but they are going to live. They are, mm. and they sat there explaining to Melinda why live is different and how how it's for the common man and it's this and that. And I was like, it's so interesting to hear someone talk about live because that's yeah. the way they look at it. And I look at it differently, um, which is fine. But it's quite, it's quite. I find it quite funny because, like you said, there's a whole plethora of people that interact with the game, whether they're playing it or watching it or whatever. But it's a little bit like the podcast. It's like each one of them can pick up something very different from all the different podcasts and probably get something out of it, which is good. I entirely agree entirely, and I think it's it's interesting that you the perception is that it's for the common man. I, I'd suggest yeah. that you know the common man is probably more you know the wonderful work of Sandy Jamison at the Oakley Golf Course, <laughs> yes. really yeah. the common man. And I think yeah. it's ironic to call the the billions of dollars from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia for the common man. But I think what it speaks to is the way it's packaged and the way it's messaged. And it's not, again, it's not stuffy. It's not 72 holes. It's not stroke play. Yeah. It is, but it it speaks to this appetite. I, I think in a lot of ways, it's the game underwent enormous exponential growth, probably beyond what it was capable of handling through COVID being mm. literally the only option for people to go outside and exercise. And what there's been, Mike, has been this vacuum in the time since as we've all gone back to our normal life and being able to interact and do all the things we used to be able to do is I don't necessarily know that the governing bodies at large t- took advantage of having such a, a an engaged, almost monopolised audience. Yeah. But what did happen is those people found their ways, whether it's via Rick Shields videos on YouTube or via one of the, you know, 40 podcasts you can listen to yeah. in some way, shape or form, they're feeding the appetite yeah. that started, Absolutely. you know, when we're all stuck indoors. Mate, it's, it's amazing. And I think my last, my last week, I'll give you my last week of interaction of golf. So last Monday night, I played golf as a five ball at Royal Park here in Melbourne. And Play with four boys that very, very rarely play golf. And one, a couple of them are just starting out. And they loved it. It was great. Very different sort of game of golf. Literally showing, you know, mate of mine, Jonna, where the ball position was on his driver and he's playing it too far out of his foot. And it, as soon as he got it right, he was just hitting the ball a million times better. And But just people that are really want to get out there, wander around, have a beer and just have a nice, easy night. Friday night, like I said, I'm at a restaurant listening to two guys that don't play golf going to live but they want to go because it's more of a party and they're going to be able to have a beer and make noise rather than the stuffy you know people are putting that they would think on a normal event and then on on the weekend i ended up playing nine holes just as a as a a single went down to my local nine hole golf course uh, in the 38 degree melbourne heat and played golf with two gentlemen just partnered up with one was jj jj was from japan he's probably in his 60s um just starting to play golf 
didn't speak English too well, having a ball. Uh, and then James, the, the, the third in the, in the group, and he plays golf once a week, loves coming down to his local. But like each one of those golf conversations that I had over one week in three separate occasions, all completely different people, all interacting mm. with the game extremely differently, but all loving it. Like it was just the game is in such a good spot. We've just got to really make sure to make the most of it. And I don't necessarily know that it's like all things, right? It'll be you don't know how good it is until it's gone. And that's not to suggest that the game itself will be gone. It's probably whenever you fall out of love with it or you just don't have any Mm. left in your body and you're no longer playing it. But I don't think we're grateful enough for what it is now in the sense that, you know, I don't personally, Mike, need to fly to Adelaide and go and watch Bert Kreischler rip his shirt off and do a shoey at the Grange Golf Club. But just because I don't need to see it doesn't mean it doesn't speak to someone. 100%. I don't know of another sport in the world that has such a like a large ecosystem that oh, caters. Absolutely. Like tennis doesn't ten, tennis doesn't do this. No, you know, uh, and 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 basketball's you know much the same product. It's done differently in different places, but it's largely the same. There aren't these different. Sure, maybe you get a little bit of. Um, test cricket to you know hit yeah. that is the yeah. IPL, but there, there's nothing really like golf. No, that's and next to such a big broad open. audience. I mean, sorry, the TPS Absolutely. series, right? You got yeah. so men and women competing against so in the same event. It doesn't happen in many other sports that they can play against each other. So there's a million I different think, ways. I think as well, and, and I know we've gone completely off pace to start, <laughs> and, and I apologise for that. But the 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 example you just drew of your week, it might be my favourite thing about the game is how much of and, – and I often think about this. It's a great leveller, golf. It doesn't matter your your, your profession. Um, you know, increasingly it doesn't matter, you know, your, your income or your earning capacity. It doesn't matter your nationality, your sexuality. It doesn't matter. It's no. such a great leveller. I think one of the favourite stories that I, we've ever elicited out of a guest um, was – I can't remember if it was the first or second time we had Ports on, you and Porter. Mm-hmm. And it was just after he'd played New South Wales with Nathan Followill. And for those unfamiliar, that's the drummer from Kings of Leon. Yep. And it came about because Nathan Followill had been booted off a course because of his tattoos. Yep. And it was like a bucket list course that he kind of he planned. On, like when we tour Australia, I'm going to this course, gets there, and gets told he can't play because of his tattoos, goes on Twitter or X or whatever we're talking about these days, goes yeah. on a rant, and Ports of all people replies, and they end up playing together at New South Wales. Now, I love Ports, but with the greatest respect, like the stars that had to align for that to actually come off yeah. shows you, like Nathan Followell has to be a golf sicko to A, get on Twitter and rant about the fact he's been booted from a course, but B, go back and read the replies to that tweet yeah. to find Port. Can you imagine how many times randoms send Nathan Followell tweets? Oh. We actually go in, find it, reply to you and tee up a game at New South Wales. And now they chat. Like it's just, it's the beautiful thing about the game that we all love is that it is such a leveler mm. of people. I agree. I love it. Uh, and mate, I, I did post on socials this week um, the four boys that I played with. One of the boys had a beautiful set of, Tidelist irons. I think he had three drivers, including a, a, a like an electric blue Nike Sasquatch driver. 
He bought it for 40 bucks at the op shop. It is honestly the greatest find you've ever seen. Um, John had a, it was like a Holden scramble red head cover, um, regional finalist 1997. I was like, Brilliant. these are the best sets of golf clubs I've ever seen. This is, this is, this is the, and it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. Like mm. we were all just out there. It was just, it was just a really, really good night. Um, and we're going to do it again next Monday night, which will be good. Outstanding. Outstanding. Now that's enough about <laughs> us, us giving a sermon on the, the world of golf. It's Thanks now going yeah. to be a little bit more about you and your golf. Yeah. Now, you, you do play golf, I'm assuming. I do. Uh, not nearly as often as I'd like. And I think that's, uh, you know, there'd be people listening who are very well familiar with uh, the, the personal story of having two children under the age of five and not necessarily having a great deal of free time to go and do the things that you'd like to do. But I do. And, and, I think for me, my probably by virtue of that, my relationship with the game has changed significantly in the sense that now I appreciate far more the opportunities I do get to play and mm. whereby I may have been consumed by scores and, you know, handicaps and par and, and all of these, you know, nominal boundaries we put on ourselves as yeah. golfers. I think for me increasingly it's, it's about um, – being happy to be outside and having yeah. a, a place that's truly my own, uh, whether that's with other people, which I enjoy, or by myself. I thoroughly enjoy walking around and having a hit by myself. So, yeah, it's it's a game that I played as a kid. I lost for a period of time in probably my teens into my early 20s, uh, and I'm really grateful that I rediscovered, not least of which because – it consumes a great deal of my free time that I do have in watching it, consuming it, talking about it, sometimes playing it, but probably more importantly for what it is for me, and that's a that's a release. It's an opportunity to go and clear my head and also a platform to, you know, maintain a great friendship of mine, to build new ones with people like you. So, yeah, it's, it's not – a place I get to as often as I like the golf course, but one that's really important to me for all those reasons and more. I reckon the part you, the, the, you didn't quite say, it, but you pretty much got there around it was mental health for me. Mental health for mm. me really battled mo- mostly in COVID when we couldn't play golf in Melbourne. So when I couldn't get outside and we were locked down, I I struggled not being able to get out there because it is one of the best things is being outside. You know, just literally wandering around, um, getting some fresh air, getting some sun. Losing some golf balls, great. This is this is the perfect couple of, couple of hours. Um, yeah. and it makes you, makes you just feel better, uh, or it does for me anyway. Whether no matter how I play, but it's definitely um, it's definitely a big thing is just getting that time away for sure. Oh, I and and couldn't agree more in the sense that I probably in the last couple of years I've maybe changed my attitude towards mm. me playing the game personally. Um, I, I don't recall a time I've felt bad walking off the 18th green. Yeah. It's always I feel I'm in a better place than what I was when I hit off the first. And and increasingly that's absolutely nothing to do with the shots I've played. Yeah. yeah. In, in 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 the between time. But it's just yeah, it's it's a really I think it's um it's a gift in many ways that we we have the game because it, it does a lot more for me than I do for it. Yep. Funnily enough. Well we got 
seven questions for you about your golf mm. specifically the lucky sevens questions we haven't done lucky sevens in a while we did them with lawrence at the start of the year and big thank you to lawrence um very good guest um and very helpful um over the, the aussie open period which was really good so big thanks to him seven questions for you first one favorite mm. course you've ever played yeah so i just want to preface very briefly I'm obviously familiar with the questions and I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to try and be um, intentionally contrarian no. and I might even contribute myself in the answers, but I, I may approach it a little differently. This one, not so much, Do it. Um, but but as as we go along the course of the remaining six, you'll see what I'm talking about. Favourite course I've ever played uh, is the Arrowtown Golf Class in, there you go. well, it's just outside of Queenstown. It's in it Arrowtown, uh, which sits about, you know, 30 minutes to the north of Queenstown. And it's interesting in the sense that um, people who are familiar with Queenstown or have thought about going to Queenstown as a golf destination, uh, obviously they circle Jack's Point. They circle Millbrook, where we have New Zealand Open um, coming up, New Zealand PGA coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Um, If they're fortunate to know someone in the right places, they might get out to the hills. uh, And then... Probably the the third option on most people's list is the beautiful Queenstown Golf Club in the middle of the of the lake there. Yeah, um, not very often that people will jump in the car and drive the forty minutes out to Arrowtown, but it's comfortably the the I won't say the best, but certainly my favourite in the sense that it's the purest example of that I have played of golf fitting into the natural landscape as opposed to. Jack's Point is aesthetically beautiful, yeah. but you can tell uh, almost every inch of the course that you walk has been laboured over and carved into that landscape yeah. to make a golf course as opposed to Aratan, you walk the fairways and you imagine that maybe on the days when it's not occupied by golfers, it's comfortably occupied by sheep. Yeah, And that for me probably speaks to what I enjoy about the game yeah. as opposed to maybe what others do. Now, I don't expect you to have listened to every episode. This is episode 26. Yeah. Did you know you're – I know you're at least the second, if not the third, to say Arrowtown is the favourite course you've ever played. I didn't. Okay. Unbelievable. So, Colt Nedler um, yeah. in the States yeah, um, yeah. and his partner in crime, who I had on um, a little while after, Reese Witter. So, Reese is in based out of NZ. Reese worked in the media coverage for – the PGA Tour, the Formula One, all yeah, sorts yeah. of stuff, travel yeah. around, and Colt influencer video, all sorts of stuff, and um, yeah, Colt said favorite course was was Arrowtown, and so did I'm pretty sure Reese did as well. Reese might have had a couple, but yeah, funnily enough, I've been to Arrowtown, but I did the other. I I played Jackson, I played uh, Millbrook, but I didn't get to yeah. play Arrowtown. But it's 100 on the list next time I'm back. So that I mean that will be like fingernails down a chalkboard for Nath when he listens to this because it only takes people who come on our podcast saying they've been to the South Island of New Zealand for me to ask whether or not they've played Arrowtown. I'll find a way <laughs> to shoehorn it in any conversation. Love and the it. other thing I'll say to people is um, after listening to uh, me now being the third person, and I'm not sure if the other two did mention this, and I'll mention it to you for when you go back, but by virtue and extension, anyone else listening who plans to go and play, you have to, after your round, go into the town and go and get a pie from the bakery. It is comfortably one of the best pies I have really? ever had from the Arrowtown Bakery. I've so been, it's only I've, about I've, a five-minute drive from the course. Well, that's I've only been to the town. I haven't. I didn't go out to the course. So I spent. We went out that way, 
Um, and we we spent the day walking around. Arrowtown had some lunch. I don't even remember where we had lunch. Might have been yeah. the bakery for all I know. Um, but didn't play. And they didn't mention the bakery. So you got one up on both those guys. Okay. Yeah. It's it's honestly, uh, and I know you, that's probably got some competition uh, with a, a bakery. I'm sure it's close to your heart. And what I know you've been to recently with a few visitors from the United States. But uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> but it's honestly the pie at the Arrowtown bakery is uh yeah it's a podium it's a podium pie what was i'm not a big pie but while we're talking about pies and we can put the off topic again the one that was always known as the best and, and from my time living in perth was the miami bakehouse down towards heading down south of perth it's good it's Didn't, not it was better than that no well i think I, I get the sense that particularly where it is it, it like yeah. the myth grew from a time where like there's not much there now when yeah. you're driving past it so i can imagine you know two decades ago, maybe yeah. even two and a half, three decades ago, when the myth started to grow, there was less. So yeah. I get the sense maybe out of scarcity, it grew a reputation. Gotcha. Like it's a good pie, but it's not It's not Arrowtown. Okay. All right. So there you go. There you go. Arrowtown, pie and golf course. I think most people yes. that listen to this would probably be comfortable <laughs> with both of those things. Um, what's the number one on the must-play list that you haven't been to before? Uh, domestically or overseas? Anywhere you want. Okay. So I anticipated a couple. I anticipated having both questions. So I've prepared a few answers. Good. Um, the 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 slightly contrarian view that I'm going to take is domestically, it might be Seven Mile Beach, okay. and I know that's contrarian because nah, Will K is very happy with that answer. It isn't completed, but I'm I'm not sure. Um, purely from what I can see via the photos on Instagram, it it currently sits atop the list of places I would wish to have my ashes spread. Yep. Uh, should anything unforeseen happen to me in the next, you know, five to six months until I get to play it, and it'll probably only be reinforced then. Yep. Um. A, a serious answer. I'm I'm obviously Brisbane based. I've not travelled much of my golf, and it's a it's a wide, wide, wide variety of options. I'd love obviously to play the Sand Belt. I probably I'd probably tend more towards Kingston Heath, which might yep. buck a few trends as opposed to saying Royal or PK, but Kingston Heath in the Sand Belt. And then I'm I'm going to play to your heartstrings and say um, King Island. I, like I, mm. I think everything I've seen about it, um, and that's not just because purely the golf. I think it's also the experience of going yeah. to King Island from where to go. I think is is right up there on the list. And then internationally, if I can stretch the friendship, yeah. um, is comfortably Lahinch. Uh, yep. So I was meant to go to Ireland April of 2020. Uh, and had to cancel that ticket about three weeks out from leaving, and I was booked in. I had my caddy booked and everything ready to play the Hinch, and uh, the the mystique has only grown in the four years since I had to cancel that trip. So yeah. it's right atop the list for me. No, they're not, no bad options. Um, King Island, yet yeah, I can't highly recommend it enough. Um, and mm. for anyone that didn't listen last week, yeah, obviously there'll be a full uh, a full episode. With the King King Island with no laying up uh, tourist source season coming out, I think around April, um, and Kingston Heath, mate Jordan Spieth is with you. They did an interview with him this yeah. week, and he said to the no laying up boys, uh, King Kingston Heath overall Melbourne every day liked it better. So I saw which anyone uh, who sits in the Venn diagram of three part par listeners and nineteenth tier listeners will know that that only furthers my love. For that man, it is yeah. it is a strong and endearing and and probably forever love, and that's only been reinforced again uh, with that answer that I saw earlier in the week. Well, the next question probably 
if he, I mean, he's your boy, is probably <laughs> going to be a tricky one. Is it the Masters or the Open? I saw him win. I saw him win the Open at Birkdale. So, um, that was a very good weekend. But uh, which one? You can only have one forever. Yeah. That's it. So I, I think this is. If you'd asked me this four years ago, it was a really easy answer. In fact, I would have said Masters already. I always grew up watching the Masters, and I think it's interesting. Like, it's a question we often ask, particularly domestic golfers here in Australia, because I think, um, you know, just by numbers, a lot of guys of a certain era who play the domestic tour would, would answer the Open hands down because it's what they yeah. grew up on. But more often than not, I I find that like if your dad was an engaged golfer and you watched golf from like the age of five or six, then you're probably an open championship voter. Whereas it wasn't necessarily my experience. Dad was involved in me falling in love with the game, but he wasn't a golfer himself. And so my earliest memories are watching, you know, Augusta on a Monday morning before going to school. Yeah. And I think it still pips the open for mine. It's harder now particularly 150th where Cam won, but also Jordan at Birkdale. And that was out of the the heart and the hip pocket for that matter. But I, I think it is still the Masters. And a lot of that is probably also to do with the the, the scarcity of Australians who've won there and that, yeah. that, that endless chase for us of not to suggest it's any less memorable to capture the Open, but we've clearly done it courtesy of our great friend Pete Thompson. Yeah, uh, just a, couple a of lot times. more times than we have at Augusta. So yeah, I'd say Augusta for me. Okay, I feel like that's getting fifty-fifty split now down the mm. down the line. There, I reckon it was a very heavy open to start with, and now it's going. Well. It's a, there's no wrong answer, so that's fine. No. Um. Now, personal golf. What's a better feeling for you: striping a drive or flushing an iron? Okay, so I'm going to say if. The choice is binary between those two things. I'm going to say an iron purely because it happens less yep. than than the driver does. So when I do hit it well, yep. I save that feeling. But if I could introduce a third, I'd like yes. to say my five wood because oh, yeah. I find flushing a fairway wood, particularly the smaller of the two, and I don't um, profess to owning a seven. So I, I find hitting my five wood for some strange reason like – Maybe more enjoyable than I should, but when I when I flush the five wood, it's a it's a truly warm feeling for me. Yeah, right. Uh, I should actually shout out um, to one of our listeners, Jonna. Um, Jonna was one of the four I was playing golf with last Monday, who's just starting to play the game. Listens to the podcast, doesn't play golf. Um, but I love that for he's Jonah. the one who was messing around with his ball position. He had his, his drive away out in front of his his left foot. And I said, pull it back to just inside your heel, and he, and he hit the next one just. Perfect. Absolutely. As per- no, so it was an iron. And it was perfect. And you know when you see someone hit this like nice little wedge and it went up and it came down, little tight draw. And you know when you hear it off the club, and I said to him, You know. I know by just the sound, you didn't feel the ball on the club then. And he's mm-hmm. like, no, I didn't. He goes, how did you? I'm like, mate, believe me, I, I don't hear that sound a lot, but I know that sound. <laughs> and then you know what he said? He goes, is that what you mean when you say flushing an iron with that question? And I'm like, that's exactly what I meant. So now he knows. He hasn't striped the drive yet. Then I can ask him. But that was his first flushed iron. Um, But he had the ball position. Again, it was his iron. I think it was a wedge. He was playing it out in front of his left foot. But I get the sense he'll always answer iron because you always love your first. Oh, absolutely. You always love your first a little bit. (laughs) Absolutely. Now on the greens, pin in or pin out? 
innings. Oh wow, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Um, and and that that might strike people as odd because potentially some of my answers have skewed more towards what you define as a traditionalist. Um, but I'm also like I'm not <laughs> when I when I go out and play golf. There's very few airs and graces. My aside, aside from like what is considered and should be maintained as proper etiquette. Yep. Like I'm not not replacing divots or not fixing yeah. pitch marks. But you know, beyond that, like I'm certainly not rocking up playing with mates to do an aim point. You know, like yeah. it's not. You know, like we're not mucking around here, guys. So like. We're we're time we're all time poor. We need to enjoy the time out here, and I don't necessarily need to pull the flag out to better my putts. So pin in for me. I know it's not for everyone, but pin in for me. Oh, there's there's no again no wrong answer. There's nothing against it. Uh, as long as as long as when you take the ball out of the cup, you're not reefing your putter in on the side of the stick and, and jagging it out. I'm no, comfortable with you. That's disgraceful. Who's who's mistreating their putter like that? That's disgusting. Oh, the the <laughs> I won't name where I was on the weekend, but the uh, the members comp in front of me. Uh, it might have been. I don't know whether the club captain or not, but he's in the last group picking up all the the members' markers, and he was doing it, and I just couldn't believe it. But no, have some self respect. Come yeah, on, that's a shocker. <laughs> um, now time of day. Are you a dew sweeper or a half sets and sunsets? You're out in the morning or the night or the afternoon. Do you know? I, I think it's only recently I started playing some twilight golf, mm-hmm. and I think I do enjoy it more. So. It's it's been almost by necessity of like okay, if you're gonna go and play golf, go and play it in the morning so you can get home and be present at home the rest of the day. Often try and get if you can the first tee time, yeah. And so you don't necessarily feel rushed and you know you haven't got anyone in front of you. But I played over Christmas break. I played a couple of like two thirty, three o'clock tee offs, mm-hmm. and it was genuinely enjoyable, albeit. Yep. A lot warmer, uh, particularly up here in Queensland, we're playing yeah. for ninety five percent humidity. But yeah, yeah. I, I, so I think, I think half sets and sunsets might be where I'm trending. You we'll need to move somewhere with daylight savings, mate. I'll, I'll tell you now. <laughs> Hello. Well, that or maybe we could just catch up with the rest of the country. Oh, I think that's probably a much better option mate, than uprooting my life. But yeah, yeah, also true. But there's <laughs> nothing better than Melbourne. We had a you know nearly forty degree day yesterday, Sunday night. Nothing better going down the local nine holder at six thirty seven o'clock, knowing there's going to be two hours of daylight, and literally just nobody being there, chipping around, speaker hanging off the bag, four or five golf balls, pick them up, go to the next hole, when a rock can be bothered. The best, the best, love it. I uh, yeah, I think I think that ideal of like knocking off, but you don't even have to knock off early when you've got daylight saving, right? But knocking off and and playing nine holes 12 holes on your way home or sneaking it in if you can get home and get through the bed and bath routine and get back out for nine like i completely agree with you and and you know god forbid we upset the curtains or the cows up here in queensland but it wouldn't kill us to maybe jump on board with daylight saving so we could experience the wonder that is you know 7 p.m golf that's it. Oh, well, next Monday I'll be out there again. Um, we got we normally had, we had a tea time at quarter quarter to six, and we we're still comfortably in before dark, which was great. Mm. Um, now the last one's a bit more of a thinker. So, favorite yep. golf memento or keepsake? Um, doesn't need to be something that you carry in your golf bag, but it could be. Could be something you've got at home. Could be anything. Yeah. So. <sighs> There's probably one. <sighs> Yeah, I think it will be this. So 
this is a long story, and I, I, I don't want to try and shorten it to not do it justice, but Louis Dobler is a name that some of your listeners might be familiar with, um, you know, former Australian amateur champion, um, great up-and-coming golfer out of Queensland. We had Louis on. It wouldn't have been long after his Australian amateur win for the first time. Yeah. And probably three-quarters of the way through the interview, he told a story. Um, Louis grew up on the Brookwater Golf Course here in southeast Queensland. And by virtue of growing up on that course, he met another family, the McIntoshes, that lived a few doors down from him. Josh, at the time, uh, the younger brother, his older brother, Brad, Josh was like the Cobra Puma rep for Queensland and kind of took Louis under his wing, you know, that kind of older brother influence that he never had, bit of a rogue, um, like got him some gear, kitted him out, played with him at Brookwater. That was back in the day that Ricky Fowler was coming down to the PGA when it was at Royal Pines. Introduced Louis to Ricky because he's there fitting Ricky out with his clubs that week. Like he was just this guy that Louis idolized. And Louis spoke glowingly about him as a real seminal figure in his development. Um, Josh, unfortunately, uh, contracted an incredibly rare um, blood disorder. Like I'm talking one in 20 Australians and unfortunately passed away very sadly a couple of years ago at the age of 32. And like, uh, this was completely unexpected. Like Louis told this story of Mendan, but beautifully told for such a young, mature kid to tell it with such, um, you know, brought the emotion into it. And and you can clearly see how much it meant to him. Probably three, two or three days after we published the interview, we got a message from Josh's older brother, Brad, uh, which was beautiful. Like to have that, have someone like that reach out. Like I think Louis had shared the interview and Brad had listened to it subsequently and sent us this really nice message about what it meant to him and his family to have Louis given a platform to tell what Josh meant to him. And long story short, they play a memorial golf day uh, every year at Brookwater um, to raise money for um, it goes into research around um, cancer research, but also Josh's um, disorder that he suffered from as well. And the first one that I played, and I've been very fortunate to play, and I play with Brad and a few of um, Brad and Josh's mates from Deborah Quarter Days when I go along and play that every year. And the very first year, I've got a ball marker um, with like a caricature of Josh on it. Yep. And I think of all the things that I've got, and I've got a few, like I'm, I'm not a crazy collector of mementos, but I think just by virtue of the story behind it, that's mm. probably that, like I've got probably 10 ball markers in my bag. I yeah. only ever pick out one. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's good. That's a very, very good um, memento. And most, if not all the listeners know Dobbs because the first time I played Brookwater, and it was a while ago now, I walked into the pro shop and they had the, um, that must have been playing some sort of event. It wasn't club. It might have been the club champs, but it wasn't the stroke event. It was something else. It might have been match play. It was match play. Definitely was match play. And I looked down, and whoever had won had won like you know, seven and six. Like they killed them. I said, oh, geez, they're feral beating there. And the bloke behind the kit goes, yep. Yeah. And he's 13 years old. And that was Lewis Dobler. I don't know how old he was. I'll, you know, I'm just guessing the age. But whoever it was, he was like, and he's just a kid. And so I was like, right, I needed to keep track of that name. And since yeah. then, I've followed him the whole way through. And um, yeah, he's, he's going to be a talent. I, and I. Um, when I saw you up at the Aussie PGA, I reckon I sat on the side of 
chipping green watching him and Cam Smith just chip and play bunker shots for about 40 minutes. Um, yeah. And Cam has already missed a cut, so um, he was there on the weekend, and it was just great to watch. And he just clearly looks like a good kid, and his family seems lovely. They've interacted bits and pieces here and there too, which is good. And that, yeah, I think that's a really, really good um, – one of the better mementos we've had, which is good. Yeah, I, it made he's a special kid, and and getting to know um, the Macintosh family. Brad's a just a cracking bloke. Loves his golf. Um, they do a trip every year down to Barnburgle because it's the last round that Brad played with Josh was at Barnburgle. So they do a you know group of fifteen guys go down there every year and play for the the Macintosh Trophy. Like it, it's just a lovely story, and I think um, just one of those great examples of golf being at the center of of a of a sure tragic event but one that yeah. is really important to that family and 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 carries on josh's memory now that's a good that was a very very good one um good seven questions good seven answers better seven answers i should say um we're going to move on to the golf from this week i don't know how much you watched this week uh, yeah, we'll probably would watch a bit of vic open at least yes yeah, um we'll start with the we'll start we'll start with the one that had the shortest amount of holes and it's not live um, as eighteen T Pebble Beach Pro Am, which was won by Wyndham Clark after they canned it after three days, um, we weren't surprised. To be honest, I, I put it in the email on Wednesday that there was a good chance it was going to be either a Monday finish or, or shortened because you called it. You did. It was, yeah. The weather looked horrendous, so it was always going to be a worry, and it, it does get hit. We talked a little bit before we started recording here. It's a it's a funny time of the year to be playing Pebble. Um, mm. it just it's notoriously cop, you know, see mist or. And you know, that fog comes in, or what rain comes through, something or what lift clean in place every other every other year. It's a bit of you know, makes it tough. Makes it a tough watch, even though it's pretty. The irony's not lost on me, Mike, that the first of the PGA Tour's new designated elevated signature, whatever we're calling it, events, um, turned into a fifty-four hole no cut, yeah. limited field event. When, well, you know, their direct competition. Uh, these days is 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 all of those things. Yeah, and direct competition said, had fifty eight holes because they had a yeah, four yeah, played more. They played more exactly holes right. than the VJ Tour this week. That's exactly right. And I think you know it's interesting. I, I said this to you before. Um, at a macro level, on the whole, I think what they've done with the restructure of having these events is is for the better for the PGA Tour. But there's going to be some pain points in scheduling and. Mm. This is a perfect example. Like you put this in Phoenix back to back for the very reason of ensuring that you can shift the best players from, you know, one tournament to the next without having downtime in between. And you're doing it for the best of the players to get them there, which is great. But the product and the fans suffer in the sense that like that call was made in my mind super early to just say, no, nah, we're not going to even contemplate coming back tomorrow. Yeah. Because we've got to get people out to Arizona. Correct. So it's, I just think there's an element of not to suggest that Wyndham Clark doesn't go out and shoot another, you know, six under and seals the tournament, but I still want to see it. Yeah. I still want to see how they manage to come back after that lay day and, and, and actually do it. So, look, I think it is what it is. It can't be helped and it can't be changed now, but it, it, it's slightly, um, slightly annoying, I think, that this is a victim of the new schedule. And, and some pain points to be worked through. What's your thoughts on owning the course record with with lift clean in place in in play? Because I, yeah. I can see both sides. Oh, look, I think I'm not against it, um, but it is always when it's it needs to be done within I don't know 
I don't know. I don't know how you stop it and say it's not not the same. But then at the same time, I think it was. I'm not picking on live again, but everyone's going to say I am. Bryson <laughs> shot 57 or something, and everyone was like, "Yeah, but it was lift clean and plays." I was like, it's the same thing, right? So yeah. at the end of the day, you're always getting a good line, but better say he was in the fairway anyway, right? And he couldn't play it as it was because the balls were just pluggy. So yeah. does it go down as as the course record? Absolutely. Um, would you be claiming it? Absolutely, it's Pebble Beach. But yeah, I don't know. It does take a little bit of luster off it for sure. I like the fact that he has to sign. There's a there's a there's a marker on the scorecard that speaks to it, and I think that's yeah. fine. But I'm also not necessarily opposed. Like I think he finished third in strokes gained approach in that round, so he wasn't like uh, he wasn't gaining four or five strokes in the field yeah. by virtue of lift clean in place. And in fact, I'm pretty certain I, I stumbled across a stat today from Justin Ray. One of the great follows in golf Twitter. Absolutely, uh, I'm pretty sure he broke the Pebble Beach record for uh, feats. Feet of mate parts. Feats of mate part. Yeah, yeah. And big Randy, love that. Uh, feats, love. <laughs> feats, I do love those feats, stats. Feats of mate part on the front nine. I think it was something absurd, like 150 feet, yeah. 10 inches of parts the on the front nine. Yeah. So he like shot 28 he, or something, didn't he? Exactly, and I'm pretty sure he gained five or six strokes in the field in putting. So that I mean, that's where that sixty came from. It wasn't lift, clean, and place. No, it was his flat stick. But I do, I do like the fact that there is a little insignia on the scorecard that just yeah. points to it. Not not trying to diminish it, but important important context for history. Looking back, that's it. So to put it into context, exactly what you said is 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 bang on correct, mate. So in the third round, uh, he picked up nearly three strokes in approach. Um, mm. But he picked up five and a bit with the putter, nearly five and a yeah. half. So the closest to him was Homeless Hubs at about two and a half. I oh, know, sorry, mm. Shamus Power, 3.3. I mean, to, to strokes, so I know it's hard to explain it, but with strokes game, to say he's positive nine strokes on the field in that round in total is bananas. Mm. And, and the, the most basic version I can give you is it's par 72. On average, if he shot 12 under, what's my, how's my math going? Everyone averages about three under. So he's nine better than everybody else. Where did he get those shots? Five of them went with the putter. So that's that's a freak show. Like plus plus two, two and a bit is is an amazing event, let alone five in a round. Uh, and for the round, yeah, plus positive three, three and a half. So just crazy, absolutely crazy. But I mean, yeah. You play good golf. I mean, and you get on those heaters and and good luck to him. I, I think he was one of those players I was a little bit concerned about this year that might fall away a little bit. I know that the um, Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz, the subpar guys, have been a massive fan of him for a long time. A little bit like Max Homer. Someone mm. that they've talked up as someone that just doesn't understand how good he is, but he's, he's a very, very, very big talent. I was concerned this year. Um, but no, he's shown to be shown with that sort of result that he's, he's not going to go away. Um the top 10 on the leaderboard, at least at some of the names that are at the top, I think are a great sign that it's amazing some of, some of those um, European cards have done. So Pavon again finished third, another great result. Detry fourth, um, and obviously didn't get come through the European tour, but Aberg sitting in second. Um, yeah, it's good to see some different names up there and, and names from all around the world, which is great. If you want a, if you want a world tour, what you know that, that sort of speaks to it being you know going well. And Machu Pavon, I mean, I'll put my hand up and say I, I completely missed on that. I, I, I couldn't tell you much about him, and he's obviously had a fortnight, um, you know, of exceptional golf. So, look, I, I agree. I think it's 
and and we see it go the other way. Someone like a Harrison Endicott who's come up through um, the Corn Ferry Tour played very well in um, a Bahrain Qatar. over the weekend. Yeah. Qatar, yeah. Um, it's a Bahrain. Somewhere, yeah, it was over there. UAE, somewhere. That was Bahrain. Bahrain, you're right. Yeah. It's actually a world. Um, but it goes both ways. And I think, you know, obviously all the news that came out with the SSG investment, there's a lot of like, where does Europe fit in, which is obviously of a particular interest for us here in Australia because that seems to be our path these days. We've hitched our wagon to DP World Tour. Yeah. But, you know, clearly that that alliance between the two is is working um, fruitfully when you've got these opportunities going both ways. Yes. It's good to see Jason Day play well again. Uh, nine, so he was getting in the clubhouse on that third round. So he shot nine under, had a putt for the course record and was a bit stiff, lipped out. I think he thought he was like, gee, that was unlucky. And then he would have only had it for 10 minutes until Wyndham Clark came in shooting 60. But it was still a good 63 from Jason Day in that third round, which is good to see. He's one that I'll be watching. Someone did ask me this week an early pick for the Masters. I said, oh, you wouldn't go wouldn't go wrong in having something on Jason Day because clearly likes playing there and he's, he's definitely finding some form in the last six months. He's healthy too, which it makes such an enormous difference. I think because we didn't see it for so long because he could barely get himself through 72 holes. Yeah. We almost forgot how good it was, kind of that 2015, 2016, yeah. you know, height of his of his powers. But, yeah, he looks really good. The, the thing that I'm I'm absolutely interested in, in Augusta and, you know, obviously uh, Valhalla and, and, and Pinehurst and all, him at all the majors this year, the thing I'm really interested in is, if I'm not mistaken, he's currently inside Olympic qualification for the two male spots for the Australian team. And I'll be fascinated. Now, he divides opinion, particularly here at home. I don't feel too strongly about it because I don't necessarily know that he owes us much. You know, we gave him all we could and he went off and he made the most of his career and his talents. And sure, comparatively to others, he doesn't come home, but he's under no obligation to either. I'm, I'm fascinated to see what he does if he does, in fact, secure that second spot. Uh, because I think he's got an opportunity to add to a bit of legacy if he goes and pulls on the green and gold in in Paris at Le Golf National. Uh, but I also wouldn't be at all surprised if he says, "I'm good, thanks." Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh. Of, I he'd have to be our he'd have to be our one seed, I reckon, in that rankings. Yeah, he will. I I reckon you'll find because the the rankings, in my understanding, fall quite late. Like they give you as many opportunities as yeah, possible, yeah, yeah. and I reckon you'll find. If if what happens, if what I anticipate happens happens, I reckon you'll find Min Wu ends up being yeah. our number one. Yeah, I just, yeah that's I agree the trajectory yeah. I think will happen. Yeah, 100%. But I don't know that anyone will catch him for the second. Yeah. So I think he'll be in a position where it's his call. Yeah. And obviously, people were in a position to go in Rio and they passed it up for Zika yeah. virus, which was a fair concern. And then, you know, people again with COVID yeah. around Tokyo, but there's no, you know, real excuse here. So, no. It's it's an interesting position. I think Jason might find himself in in a couple of months. I'll keep an eye on that. Um, for the gamblers out there, it didn't get any easier. So yeah, <laughs> the winners thus far: Kirk three hundred, Grayson Murray a thousand, Dunlap five hundred and fifty, Pavon at one hundred and fifty, and Wyndham Clark was a hundred to one on Betfair when I put the email out. Um, yeah, God, tough, tough, tough stuff. I think a lot of people had money on Aberg or Oberg uh, because I did have a few people to me, tell me today that I was a bit flat that I ended up playing that last round because I thought he might have been able to pinch it. So mm. I'm sure no one had been backing Pavon to go back-to-back or um, 
or Hubbard Detry, those names probably weren't on anyone's lips, but yeah, I think they thought uh, Aberg might have been chasing him down. It's interesting, uh, you, and and sorry, just to yeah, um, point, you're, you're a lot more dialed into this than me, but it strikes me as odd that a, at a, a major winner and a major winner from last year yeah. could enter a, a PGA Tour tournament in a limited field yeah. and be 100 to 1. He was. I looked it up today because I couldn't believe it as well. So I didn't have him in my picks, obviously, because um, mm. that'd be stupid. Um, but when I looked at the odds up today, eighty man field, he was ranked twenty third in the odds, so nearly halfway down the board, or you know, third of the way down the board, um, which is crazy. Absolutely, like honestly, that's the people, some of the names that are above him. Like I'm not picking on Eric Cole or um, I can't remember who else was above him. But the guys like, you know haven't won in years sitting above him right and i well i think i think it speaks to the value the market places on consistency of top fives top tens and week-to-week pga tour golf but i also think it speaks to the estimations that we have more broadly for someone like a wyndham clark you know because obviously burst out at lacc and then was pretty underwhelming at the Ryder Cup, which I take as a great marker of form because I feel like it's where the lights shine the brightest, particularly yeah. for American players playing in a way Ryder Cup. But, you know, they often say the hardest major to win is your second because golf history is littered with people who've won one and yeah. fallen away, right? So I, I don't know whether we are convinced one way or the other which way he's going to go. Not to suggest he wins another three majors, but does he won, win another one? Does he win... Yeah five or six times in the PGA Tour, he's hard man to get a gauge on at the moment. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think he, he, like I said a minute ago, and and maybe it's from the subpar boys, but he reminds me a bit of Max Homer. I expect Max Mm. Homer to be top three in the world by the end of the year. Um, Is he just behind him? Um, And obviously that's helped by Ram dropping away, but um, yeah, don't know. I really, really don't know. He's, he's, I think you're right. I think he's just going to be a harder one to get a gauge on. Um, now we're going to flick through this event quickly because I don't know how much you watched and also I want to talk a bit about the Vic Open but they did play in Bahrain this week I did watch the finale or the last sort of nine holes of this event mainly because I was invested in Xander Lombard who came up just short for the second week <laughs> in a row um, Dylan Fratelli finally um, put his big boy pants on and, and, and closed it off the way he should have um, he was two over through 12 and looking like he was going to give it away and then birdied three of his last six to, to get the win Um Pretty much just as I turned the TV on, Lombard had made a, a, a pretty ordinary bogey. Or, uh, I won't say it was an ordinary bogey. Yeah, it, it was on the, look it up now, the 15th hole. He, he hit an ordinary tee shot, somehow got it onto the green. It was, you know, 150 foot putt, got it up to about six feet. And I was like, nah, he ain't making that. Like, I've seen this story so many times. He, not, he just didn't did not hit it at all. Like, he, he hit it about two thirds of the way to the hole on a, on a 10 foot putt. It was a pretty poor putt. So Xander didn't quite get me there. Uh, like you said, Harrison Endicott did have a good week. His, his final round, his final weekend, I should say, 73-73. But um, still, top top 20 result there is not too bad. I think it's good to see guys like that. I feel, I feel like for me, when I started really enjoying golf, you had guys that were really getting out onto the, the European tours, we'll call it, and really cutting their teeth and then going over and trying to play in the US. And he's kind of gone the other way around. I could, I'd love to see him play more on this European tour and – you know, get some get some good results here and then, you know, get in some other events and sort of keep working. I'd love to see the system work that way, if that makes sense. And I think you find that it will increasingly because obviously he graduated um, via the automatic promotion in top 25 and the end of the KFT season last year, but purely by virtue of 
the rejig format of the season. He's going to find himself on the outside of a lot of events. Yeah. And is he going to, you know, hit the range for 10 days in the States? Or is he going to go and try and earn when he's got status in Europe? Yeah. Clearly, he made a decision. I mean, he's willing to travel to Bahrain to yeah. have a start. So I, I think he's got an appetite for it. I don't, it doesn't strike me as a kind of guy who wants long, well periods in between tournaments. Going to benefit far more from playing week in, week out. So, yeah, I think it's interesting because we've obviously got guys like, uh, Mika, Dave Mikulutsi is playing his first season with that um, yep. full status, having topped our order of merit last year. So we got Six, a lot of guys. 16th as well. Yeah, played well, Mika. Scraped into the weekend from what I saw. And then, uh, as he often does, if Mika gets a sniff of he round really three does. or four, he'll often play very, very well. Yeah. Um, mine cast back to the Dunhill uh, just before he came home to play in the PGA, where he, I think he shut up the line. Stupid amount of positions in that rain affected finish to yeah. the Dunhill when it was no one wanted to be playing golf, let alone scoring. And he was out there motoring up the leaderboard. So he, he loves it. If he can get a sniff, he loves Saturday, Sunday golf. But yeah, I agree. I like it's we are invested in a strong European tour because as I said, that's our pathway now. And I don't see that changing. We aren't we don't have the the currency to make the PGA tour sit up and offer us cards. Um other than going through Q school and the agonizing weight that that is. So yeah. we we are we are clearly invested in a strong European tour. It's good to see a yeah. lot of our guys filling out those fields. 100%. And Mika, I should say, 68 final round, and he was three over in his last four. So, um, yeah, he, he can definitely – when he catches fire, the boy, he he's, he's red hot, absolutely red hot. Mm. Now, the I'll say the big event. I mean, it probably ended up being the big event this week, especially if you're in Australia, was the Vic Open. I probably watched yes. more of it than anything else. Obviously, the time zones work better. Um, but we did have the men's and the women's event running concurrently, which is – I really enjoy it. I don't know how you feel about them being on the same same paddock at the same time. I think for Vic Open, it's it's great. Yep. Uh, I, I got to a point at the back end of the Oz Open last year where I'm, I'm pretty firm on that needs to be split out now yep. for me. Um, and that was purely because, if you'll recall – Obviously, Ash Buhai ends up winning that tournament. G.A. Shin's giving a run for her money, but Minji Lee motored home in that yeah. tournament on that Sunday and was within a putter to winning. And that moment, had she done that, would have been over in a flash because she's got to clear the green because we've got Joaquin Neiman yeah. firing home. And, and, and for me, it just it's the National Open should sit separate. At a Vic Open level, it's great. And I think the more we see, for guys like... Um, Cam Pollard, who took out the the all abilities, and yep. Stephen Loki, I think if I'm going to get that correct, was the the wheelchair class um, uh, of the all abilities as well. Who won? Like that's as important um, mm. as having the men's and women's side by side. It's having a platform where you know the all abilities golfers are celebrated uh, as they have been over the last couple of weeks in Victoria. So, yeah. like I think at that level, I'm I'm comfortable absolutely to see them all play on the same. Um, weekend as difficult as it is from a scheduling perspective. Uh, yeah. I, I think it, it, the benefits outweigh the negatives. I'd highly recommend anyone who can get down there next year to go down. I didn't get there on Saturday, which I was trying to get down there. Um, but it, it's a great event. You would have seen a lot of the footage, people wandering around, walking the fairways, walking the dog, wandering around the, the golf course. It's just such a great event to watch. We'll start with the women's event. Ashley Lau won. Um, She's just a very smiley character. Like, just she just she? couldn't have looked like she's enjoying her golf more. Like, I don't look like that when I play golf. I'm definitely very much angry and you know looking very solemn. But gee, she just every time she made a putt, she's just like, "Oh, how good was that?" You know, she's just enjoying life. 
and was coming off, uh, I think she hit a 61 at Rosebud the okay. week before. Yep. Because, um, ironically, Brett Coletta, who we'll get onto in a moment, he hit a 62 alongside Crystal Blum, and then I think a day later, Ashley Lau came out and, and pipped him with a 61. So she was coming in with some form. I've got to be honest, I, people who listen to our podcast last week would know that I tipped G.A. Shin in the women's, oh, and so I thought I was on, I thought I was on an absolute winner because I greatest respect to Ashley Lau. I thought if that putt dropped and it goes to a playoff, yep, I'm back in G.A. Shin eight days a week. Um, but the yeah, third, she, third round I sat down and watched um, as well, and, and G.A. Shin now for anyone who's played 13th beach the beach course that is a little bit of a different uh they finish on what is normally the fourth hole uh, mm. that's the 18th so she was playing what's normally the second which is their 16th and it's a tough hole it's a tough hole kind of goes down uh you're seeing off from west west towards the east and um the breeze would have been going straight across and i've hit into that green so many times and it's a tough green to hold at the best of times she hit one of the best and as soon as it hit the green and it started to roll you're like oh this is going to be real close and then she binned it for a two. Like oh, no. for someone who was just playing good golf, um, but you could see the talent. She wasn't playing her best, but her talent was like, nah. She's clearly a, a, at a different level to some of these players. Then she just goes and does that, shoots to the top of the leaderboard, and you're like, oh, she's going to run away with this on Sunday. I, I, I was a bit like you. I thought, nah, she, she's she's just going to get this done. And it's, I think it's a credit. To, I mean, obviously Ashley Lau was already in the clubhouse, um, but yeah. you know, you know that someone like a GA is there. Uh, and 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 likely as the defending champion and also someone who's played pretty bloody well at the Australian Open a couple of months back, who's going to come and put her best foot forward in the final round. And yep. and Ashley Lau was unencumbered from what I saw. Yep. Probably comes with that really carefree is not the right word, but uh, she strikes me as a type of player who's very where her feet are. Yeah, just balanced. Yeah. You know? And it's like if there's a bad shot, there's that famous um, – I can't remember what the tournament was, but Ram recalled it a couple of years ago. It might have been Tory Pines, where he was asking a post-round presser and he, he quoted the famous line in Ted Lasso about being a goldfish. And, yeah, right. and Ashley Lau strikes me yeah. like, be the goldfish, just just forget yeah. and move on. And she's like, it's very much, I've dealt with that shot, good, bad or indifferent. Yeah. The important shot is the next one, right? So, yeah, she's... um. She's a talent. She played red hot in the last fortnight down here, and I think we'll see a, a fair bit more of her name on leaderboards on our tour in years to come. Mm. And to birdie that 18th hole, which mm. again is the fourth, the par five around the, the salt flat or whatever it is, um, the way that breeze was blowing was a tough hole. I mean, it, it, it's the, the tee shot's tough enough. It tightens right up, and then to hit in, you're playing straight into that breeze. Um, that was a really, really, really good birdie. Uh, really good birdie. So, yeah, well, absolutely well-deserved. Um, very dominated at top end by the Asian Asian team. So, Ashley Lau, G.A. Shin, Jong Jin Cho, Mina Yoon, Shina Kanazawa. Um, yeah, absolutely coming down and playing some amazing golf. Um, Sarah Jane mm. Smith, Karis Davison. Karis Davison was really good on Saturday as well. Saturday, part, uh, third round. Um, just, just great watching some of these golfers and... Um, Again, Curry Webb should have mentioned Curry Webb. Curry Webb coming down and finished T eleven was was always good to see down there as well. And which is a better finish than last year. It had been twelve months in between appearances for Curry at a professional level, uh, and and yeah, she still got it. She's absolutely still got it. And I Imagine think being that good. Well, we said it last week as well. It's not even about. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised that she's made the weekend and finished just outside the top ten. But 
if you for a moment think about the impact of that for the other women in the field, um, mm. for players like Karis Davison, you know, Cassie Porter, yeah. um, you know, Crystal Blum, uh, that that top of type of player who just rubs shoulders with her for the young girls who are walking around the fairways just outside the ropes, like she is we're very fortunate to have her that she still sees fit to rock up to thirteenth beach and play four days ago. It's um yeah, it's a gift. And the men's event um, ended up being a, a two-man race in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it looked like it was going to be a bit tighter than it was. Exactly the same hole that G.A. Shin made that eagle on, which is the second on the normal course and, and, the, and the 16th. Uh, Brett Coletta made a birdie that he probably shouldn't have made. And Zunik made the par that he probably should have made the birdie. And all of a sudden, it was not enough holes left in the day. Um, and he went down by two. Yeah, poor old uh, George Zernick. He's. <laughs> I recommend people taking a listen back to the interview with with George. He's a he's a character, uh, and and one of the great things about what we enjoy doing is just getting to know the people that you don't get to see because they're a very different person when you're, you know, inside the ropes and you're playing professional competitive golf. But um, take nothing away from. Brett Coletta, as I said, coming off a of 62, he fell away a bit at Rosebud the week before, but it was there. Like he saw shades of it when he goes out and, you know, it's two shots away from hitting an even 60 in, in the TPS event the week before. Um, the other one for me, Mike, just briefly, mm. Jed Morgan. So Jed had yeah. the low round of Sunday. I think he had an eight under 64, which shot him up and an outright fourth. Um, yeah. Speaking of complete bias here, because he's, he's probably one of the ones we've struck up a better friendship with over the years of having a chat to him a few times and getting to know him. But it was good to see Jed's had a difficult 18 months. You know, yep. he, he come off that amazing performance to win the Oz PGA in 2022 in yep. a near course record and went away from the field. It was a coronation on the Sunday for the Royal Queensland boy himself. Yep. Off the back of that, he jettisoned into um, Ripper GC uh, yep. with his good mate Cam Smith. And by virtue of a poor year, found himself hunted out the back door um, via their, you know, um, promotion and demotion system. And we've spoken a lot about, like, this is a guy who made a choice and don't begrudge him of that because offered an opportunity to set himself up for life, um, but comes out the back of that opportunity with little to no status because of the, you know, the the banishment that is seemingly going to live, or at least it was back when he did. So. Really happy for him that he's he's obviously got status back here from winning the the PGA. Yeah, and good to see him back in a bit of nick because he's a he's a character as well, and, and the game are better for having guys in it like Jed. Yeah, I think uh, one of a better term or whatever you want to call it phrase, but I mean he can come back here do his penance. I guess I'm going to call it. Uh, mm. He's going to spend 12 months or whatever it is, however long it is, till he can get uh, some sort of card. But I mean, again, he could easily finish. If he has a few more good results in the end of this year, no, it gets a win. Um, he can get him up the numbers here. I don't know where he's sitting on the order of meta on the Aussie tour at the moment, but he might be a chance to get himself a you know European tour card and then work his way back to somewhere else where he wants to play or decide he wants to go and have a crack at Corn Ferry or something else. There's, I mean, and he's, he's really re- a really good golfer. Rounding into form at the right time too, right? Because the, the way that the order of merits designed now is obviously you take out the PGA and the Australian Open. But the tournaments get more valuable the closer we get to the end of the year. Yeah. Like it does come to a natural climax, you know, as those last few tournaments. So wins in these next couple of weeks are invaluable to try and 
lock up one of those top three spots for the card. I'm just trying to find him on the order of merit now, and I don't know that he's far enough up that he might, he'd be, might make He'd be it low. Down. He hasn't had a result like that. Like, he looked good at Rosebud the week before without necessarily going on with it. That's his best result comfortably for a little while. It's a really interesting spot. Um, I know it, it may not necessarily be um, what a lot of your listeners are engaged in, but the order of merit is fascinating this year in the sense that there's a lot of guys taking up the top 10 yeah. who don't need cards. No. Right, so you, we could find ourselves in a position where, like, the person who finishes third, sixth, and eighth actually yeah. take the, the three cards because the other guys are already exempt. Uh, and, and I think you'll find that there's no one more acutely aware than those guys sitting somewhere between five and twenty at the moment yeah. because they are chasing three very live cards at the moment. I, I couldn't agree more. And Minwoo Lee's on top. Brett Coletta's jumped into second, mind you. He's played eleven events to Minwoo's two. Um, <laughs> he's got half the points. Kazuma Kabori is surely going to lock down a card. You'd think so. He, and, and it's really, it looks like he and Brett Coletta are locked in there sitting north of 500 points. Mika's next. Mika doesn't, I don't doesn't know that need he it. needs a card. And doesn't need it. Ben Eccles and Adam Scott doesn't need it. Jack Carter, Leash is not going to touch it. Lachlan Barker. They're the ones that are sitting north of 300 points. So mm. again, right behind that, Kerry Mountcastle, Jordan Zunick, Andrew Martin. Andrew Martin doesn't need playing good golf. Austin Bautista. So, like you said, it's pretty it's tight after that. Only a couple of couple more um good results, and you could easily chip up into that that top three or four. And yeah, like you said, Minwoo and Adam Scott and Leishman aren't taking those cards on. Not at all. And and and, and for those guys, like someone like a Benny Eccles, that's life changing. Like European yeah. full European status next year is enormous for a guy who was out in the wilderness for a period of time. There has worked his yeah. ass off, and is on the precipice of. Locking up some security for the next 12 to 18 months. Yep. And I know I know it's not easy for them with the status that they get. I'm um, obviously Mick is the highest of the three, um, Andrew Martin and Tony Power Horan, but those guys will get their chance. They will be able to find some events they can go and play and they just got to make sure their game's tight and then take advantage of it when they get there. Um, but it's just having that opportunity. You just got to have it. And we've had, you know, six guys now lock that up for Asian Tour. I think it was Justin Warren, Mav Ancliffe, Sam Brazzle, Jordan Zunix, one of them, uh, Harrison Crow, and Lockie Barker as well. So there's six guys already who've got some opportunities through the Asian Tour next year. And and we know how lucrative that is now with its alignment through Live. So a lot of yeah. lot of guys and, and women for that matter through the Ladies European Tour and the LPGA. Yeah, and the Epson for that matter. We've got a great representation of Australian players overseas at the moment, and a great crop of that next generation coming through that not a lot of people will be super familiar with now. But I guarantee, in four or five years' time, we'll be speaking about them in the same breath that we speak of a Minwoo Lee now, who's obviously emerged hmm. like a shooting star in the last four months. Absolutely. Now we're going to start talking about next week's golf, but before we go to you know. Mike versus the Mug and uh, the Phoenix Open, <laughs> it'd be absolutely silly of me to not pick your brain on who you think might play well this week at the Players' Series in Sydney. So back to uh, where are they playing? That um, Castle Hill. That's oh, Castle Hill. They've changed, Castle changed Hill. courses. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because so it was at um, Bonnie Doom, wasn't it? It was, which is very close to Braith and Astor's heart, who's the host of yeah. this tournament. Uh, he's a Bonnie Doom man. Uh, they're finding themselves out at Castle Hill, out in the western suburbs. Yep. Um, look, I my my pick last week is is an endless tease for me. Uh, it, it's a it's a gentleman that I nominated at the very start of the year as as one I thought was going to have a great season. Um, he won the NTPGA right at the very beginning of the summer and has been 
he's been hot and cold since, but he's heading back to like genuinely heartland stuff, and that's Daniel Gale. Yep. Um, Gailey, for me, I don't know. Um, we call it the Jesse Mendoza effect, and that's if people are familiar with the really inside baseball reference of um, D2, the Mighty Ducks, the second movie, where you've got the Mexican kid, Jesse Mendoza, who skates incredibly fast, but he can't stop. Yep. Like that's 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 Gailey going both ways. Like when he gets hot, there's no better player. Yeah. You know, and he'll go through a patch of like eight holes with seven birdies. Yeah. And that's that's not uncommon for Gailey. But when he goes the other way, he he similarly finds it difficult to stop. So it's about it's about minimizing the gap, I think, between our ceiling and our floor. And I think he may I mean I picked him last week and he missed the cut. Wouldn't surprise me if he gets it done in, in kind of very familiar surrounds in Castle Hill. Jake McLeod's another one. Jake McLeod's playing too good a golf at the moment not to walk away with a win. I I can't not see Jake McLeod winning a tournament in in this summer because he's just he's been so incredibly, incredibly consistent. He's fell away on the weekend, but he was my pick this week. Um he was my investment. And um yeah, he I I couldn't agree with him more. He just looks like he's really knocking on the door. Mm. And then on the women's side, like it's probably similarly for me, like it's hard given how well they've been playing. People like Karis Davison, people like Cassie Porter. I yep. think it's probably that level because I, I mean, I haven't given too much of a look at the field, but I don't think you'll have the international representation as much as you had down in Victoria. No. That'll fall away for the TPS. You've got people like, um, I know for a fact, Steph Kuriak who's heading back overseas because we're going to have a chat with her tomorrow night before she heads home or sorry, yep. heads back to the States. So that field thins out a little bit and, and those, that next kind of, crop of of young um women coming through they've been playing so well for a lot of top fives top tens not to necessarily hold up a trophy so i feel like it's going to come from within that crop for me on the women's side i like your picks uh i'll read out the odds because the the odds are up for this market Mm -hmm. it is monday night but they are up early because it is probably the first event to start so jenny shin is a favorite at 850 ashley lau 15 dollars kazuma kabori absolutely on fire, fifteen dollars. Brett Coletta, seventeen. Elvis Smiley, twenty-one. Cassie Porter, twenty-three. Daniel Gale, twenty-three. Andrew Martin, who is flashing a little bit of form at the moment as well, twenty-three. Jake McLeod, our, uh, another one of our favourites, twenty-six. Adam Bland, twenty-nine. Michael Hendry, thirty-four. Jeffrey Guan, thirty-four. Is the top of the market. I think you're right. I think that if I'm going to have, I mean, I'll, I'll have a look, a bit more of a look as the week goes on, and put it in the email. And if you do want the email, I should keep saying this. Three-part podcast at gmail.com. I'll send that out probably Wednesday afternoon. Uh, I think I'll be working around Daniel Gale. I, I like him. And I am gonna. I really like Andrew Martin. I think they're the two that I'll stick with this week. I always have something on Tommy Powerhorn because he, I think his odds are ridiculous for a guy who can clearly really match it with a lot of these guys. And he's $56. And then mm. Dobbs, I just saw Dobbs was down at 200 So I know he's not playing amazing golf at the moment, but yeah, be good to see him play some good, have a good week this week. 200 to 1's worth an investment. Yeah. A player of Louis Doubler's class. The other one there, just briefly, Jeffrey Guan, um, he's running out of tournaments, but I said at the beginning of the year I'd be incredibly surprised if he doesn't win something. Yep. He he has been most impressive in my estimation in the biggest tournaments. He played really well um, at Royal Queensland. I think he had a top 10 finish there for yeah. a kid who was playing in like his second or third professional tournament. Obviously, we're talking all about Kasuma Kabori, as we should, you know, twice, uh, two-time winner in his first eight starts, the first person to go back-to-back on the tour since Adam Scott in 2013. So he's rightfully getting all the plaudits, but Juan's a freak. Like that, that 
so good. Uh, and he's back in Sydney where he lives. So he's one to watch out for this weekend as well. The one that you just mentioned, um, Gailey can go hot and cold. The other one, my favorite version of that is the Lincoln tie. The boy yeah. can shoot 55 or 85. He's a freak. When he gets hot, he shoots some really, yeah. he goes real deep. Yeah, you're not wrong. Link Link is, um, oh God, it's, it's, it's just so, when you start to talk to them and you get to know um, some of these people, it's hard not to become invested. Yeah. And, and then whether or not, you know, increasingly, obviously, we, we only get outside of the two majors, we get Saturday, Sunday coverage. So it's not uncommon yeah. for me to be sitting there and like banging my head against my desk at work as I check the app, yeah. you know, and I see certain someone might go, you know, might start bogey, bogey, bogey part. It's like, yes, what are we doing, guys? Yeah. No, you're not wrong. It's uh, yeah, but it's one of those <laughs> things that, and I'm, I know it's pretty common for most golf podcasts to pick on the coverage, and I know. We're not we're not talking about the same fund that the US telecast has, but how on earth does the telecast start for an event where we've clearly already got cameras at at three pm, which would have been two for you? Like, why are they not starting it at midday at absolute latest? I've um, I I, I could go blue in the face about this, but particularly virus service like Ko, like Ko yeah. is literally a volume equation. All they want is more content. It's a streaming yeah. platform. Mike, I can tune in on a Saturday morning of a tournament weekend and access the Victorian Swimming State Championships quicker than I can access yeah. the third round of, of a TPS anywhere in the country, yeah. and it's absurd to me. Like, you've got to invest in the product, and to my mind, like, it's not cutting it, giving me four hours uh, each day across no. Saturday and Sunday, some of our great tournaments, so... Like they've done a lot of good things in the last twelve to eighteen months. The schedule's back in, in a in a great spot, but some of this money, particularly via a lot of these new commercial partners, has got to be redirected back to not just more airtime, but the quality of what we yeah, see. I agree. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, the other big events this week. So just quickly, um, the Qatar Masters on DP World Tour. Liv is playing in Las Vegas. So they're at my Coba last week. They're off to Las Vegas. Shockingly, the uh, the um. The event, or the well, whatever you want to call it, the tour, the live tour, um, has so much money that they are flying the tour, the tournament to Las Vegas the week of the Super Bowl in Las Vegas, and having a Thursday start instead of a Friday, so that everyone can finish and go to the Super Bowl on Sunday. As no matter what you say about live, that's that's great. Oh, that that's couldn't be more well planned. It's like you know what, guys, we're going to pay you all the money in the world, and we're going to take you to Las Vegas Super Bowl weekend. And we're even going to give you the day off to go to the game. And I can guarantee they've all got tickets. Um, oh, that'd be super a box. Well organized. Would have thought. Oh, yeah. they'd have whatever they want. Yeah. Um, absolutely unbelievable. So um, I did put some tips in the in the email last week on live. I, I don't think I'll do that too often. It, it's, yeah, I, it's very, very difficult form to read. But the big event, the one that Bobby Mack told me at the Queensland, oh, the uh, Queensland, Australian PGA, that he was most looking forward to as an event that he wanted to play is the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Uh, TPC Scottsdale, uh, everyone's seen it, stadium course. Um, it's been there since 1987. Always think about Tigers holding one, but I always think about Jared Lyle's holding one on yeah. the stadium hole. Always. N nothing better than Lyle's holding one. It's, it's so uh, good. And I think his reaction as well. Um, oh, yeah, so good. Is what makes that video each and every time I watch it. So I agree. It's it's one of my favorite ones. This is a great run 
right? Because yep. Pebble's excellent, Phoenix is excellent. Um, so, uh, Tory before Riv, that, and Riv coming and, up, yeah. and Riv is probably my favorite course on the tour. Yeah. Um. So I love this event. I, I interestingly enough, and and this speaks to probably my proclivities and why I watch the BJ Tour as opposed to watch a lot of Live. But I think the beauty of Phoenix is in its scarcity. It is that we get it once a year. It yeah. is that it isn't every week, and that's why it's such a great yeah. tournament. Uh, and I think it lends itself to certain players playing better in that environment because it's Definitely. not for everyone, right? So, yeah, it's a fascinating one to watch and, and one I always uh, make sure I'm, I'm dialed into. It's it's something I need to take into account. It's the same as when I look at um, the American Express or I look at Pebble. I want someone who knows. I know they can play in a pro-am because yeah. there are certain people that do not like playing in pro-ams and I can guarantee it. And this is an event where if you're not going to get involved, you're not going to play well. Mm-hmm. Like you're just not. If you if you're if you're going to get rattled by people screaming because you're not just hearing them scream on sixteen, you're hearing them screaming on sixteen when you're on two. Like you're hearing them everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so if you're not going to get into the vibe of that and understand, you're walking into a university town. Everyone's going to be completely gassed the whole weekend. You're not winning. You're just not. So yeah. uh, it's something that's uh, it's strokes gained. I don't know, peanuts. I don't know what you want to call it, but there's going to be a lot of peanuts <laughs> hanging around the golf course. Um, yeah. The weather's going to be pretty mild. It's 17 odd degrees. It doesn't look windy. doesn't look rain. Just a bit of a, a cooler, cooler sort of desert golf, I guess. Um, everybody's there. Sheffield's there. Hovland, Xander, Homer, Fitzpatrick, Clark. Stats that I like, about 45% of their shots into green is going to be from 150 to 200 yards. They need about a putt on Bermuda. Um, scrambling or strokes going around the greens reasonably important and I want someone that hits it long um, there's a few reviews that I saw and they were kind of looking more at about accuracy but all the numbers that I see on data golf says you need to be hitting it long or there's at least an advantage to it so mm. I'm definitely overlaying that now it's time it's Mike versus the mug it's the first time I need like a little sting um, it's the first time I've played it in weeks I'm nervous I, I haven't lost money in a couple of weeks so I, I, you know I was very lucky not to lose uh, money to uh, to Lawrence when he his picks so the first question yeah. I ask do yeah. you have a charity you would like me to donate some money to yeah I'm um, I'm gonna get you to send it to uh, fight MND Done. if you wouldn't mind please. Um, Good chance they'll uh, be getting fifty bucks. Come, yeah. So I'm, I've donated on Saturday before when I like I'm nowhere near it, and the person's going to leave. Just, just done. <laughs> Give it away. The second yeah, question no, to, yeah. for you: Have you done any homework? Yeah, a little. So, for context, we had this conversation before we hit the record button, and and people um, who've ever done themselves the disservice of listening to any of the work that I do would know. That I'm a I'm a big um, it's it's you know it's Marbo it's the Constitution <laughs> it's just it's just the vibe I've got big I'm a big Dennis Denudo yep um, golf selector uh, I'm not big in the weeds but what I did did do is I, I, you'll be proud of me I did look at the stats that you like and I did mm. go to the PGA Tour website. I'm going to stop sending that out to the person who's going to go yeah. against me, don't I? That's a, that's a silly thing. Well, what I would suggest to you is I, I used it as a frame of reference as Love opposed it. to a guide uh, of who I wanted to say. Because ultimately, as you all know, um, whether you're into the data or you're into the eye test, you've got to you've got to enjoy who you're putting money on. That's 100%. half, if not all, the reason you put money on them. So 
it's I use it as a frame of reference, not necessarily as a hard and fast guide to selecting my three. Love it. So, number one, who have you got? Justin Thomas is my first off the board. Uh, not a selection I would have given to you probably even six months ago. Yeah, no, but I've seen that. something turn uh, in him in in the last couple of months. I think there's a fire back. I think, um, funnily enough, and, and it's like one of those things that you get surprised about each and every time you see it, but then you look at form and shouldn't be. Uh, it feels as though to me it's happened since the Ryder Cup, and yep. that's re-energized something in him, as we well know, it always does. Uh, and I think, Connor, I hadn't even really considered it through this lens, but to your point about dealing with the atmosphere mm. at Phoenix, uh, for me, he's a player that thrives in the environment when the lights are shining the brightest. I don't yep. necessarily know that the week-in, week-out minutiae of the PGA Tour lights his flame, uh, it's when he gets into those pressure cooker environments that he tends to play his best golf. So he'll definitely he's also definitely one that'll that'll walk out and play up to the yeah. crowd. K right. so, Alabama. Yeah. Roll tide 100%. jersey. Hundred well, percent. Mate, he ranks fourteen in the data. Uh his last three starts on the PGA tour, third at the Hero, third at the Amex, and sixth at Pebble. Uh and his finishes here, or well, his last five finishes at Phoenix are seventeenth, third, third, thirteenth, and eighth. So okay. fair to say that's a pretty good pick. I didn't know. I didn't know any of those things. I mean, obviously, I knew his reason for the yeah. last couple of weeks. But when you said to me, and you, because you know, not to pull back the curtain too much on on this, but you know, I see, I get the email, and I absolutely recommend people sign up to it. It's outstanding. Um, but I got a little bit of a look, you know, via a shared screen into the into the um, spreadsheet, and. Immediately, I thought I didn't voice this to you, but I thought, shit, he's he's going to do this live as I'm giving him my selections. <laughs> I'm going to look like an absolute idiot here, no, and I'm yeah. glad that the first one, at least, is is okay. There's no wrong answer. Who you got for number two? Okay, so this is a guy who's played well there recently. Um, a guy who I think, honestly, I'm surprised he hasn't won more already on the PGA Tour, and a guy who I think is going to have a really good year. Maybe not necessarily in the four majors, but you know, in these big PGA Tour events, and that is Sahith Thagala. He is Thigala. a bad, bad man, um, and I think he, you know, you'll recall two years ago, yes. um, he threw this away on he 17 did. and then again on 18 um, where he blocked his drive into the water on the left, and yep. you know, I'll never forget the heartbreaking images of Mr. Thagala, the camera yes. cutting to Sahith's dad and very, very distraught. Yeah. Um, he's a guy that I, I just think is again well suited to the environment. He, he seems to play up to it as opposed to shy away from it. Um, he's looked really good in the last um, six to twelve months, and and I think he's poised to have a, a a big year myself personally. So, based on that and based on prior form here at the course, I like Sahith Figal. Yes, I think it might have been last year. Unless my data hasn't updated with one year on it, but yeah, it says third here last year. Um, he's that might born- have been it. He's second at yeah. second at the century. Missed the cut at Sony, but sixty fourth at Farmers and twentieth last week at Pebble. So that says he's he's turning into form. He ranks number ten in the data. So of about one hundred and fifty okay. players, you've picked off number ten and number fourteen. Okay, so that's, that's good. Right. Another good pick. Because well, Scheffler won last year, didn't he? He did. He did. So okay, so it was definitely last year that Sahith threw it away. Okay, yeah. all right, yeah. fantastic. Scheffler last year. Who you got number for three. number three? Okay, this is this is purely out of a. Um, uh, out of a selfish reason, I just love watching this guy play. 
Yeah. Uh, I think he probably speaks mostly to your um, strokes gained approach from kind of 175 to 200 stack, okay. more so than the others. Yeah. But I just, I love watching him go about his business. And that's Sung Jae In. He is, Sung Jae In, yes. In my estimations, an assassin. And, yep. you know, I know he's trying to avoid the military conscription to South Korea, but I think he might do well if he if he happens to be called up in the unfortunate circumstance because he's cold-blooded. And I just, I, I think he, in my mind, emerged tremendously in the President's Cup at Royal Melbourne in 2019. Yeah. And he's a guy who, uh, you know, he is up and down form-wise, but when he's on, there's few better iron players on the entire tour, yeah. um, to my estimation. So I think Agreed. you'll enjoy the atmosphere. And I think, you know, if 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 that is a stat, strike scanned approach, 175 to 200, that is going to dial into the formula, then, you know, he'll be near the pointy end of that, I would have thought. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, he ranks 21 on the data. He's been a little up and down. For me, in gambling terms, he's what I call a money muncher. He's taken a lot of my money and and set fire on it lately over the last couple of years. He just never closes the door, and I wish he would. But his last three, he's only played here three times for 17th, 34th, and 7th. So, again, he's right at the top of the pointy end of the the picks. He will definitely be in the uh, spreadsheet when it comes out on Thursday. And if anyone does want the email, sorry, Wednesday it'll come out. Um, Threepuckpodcast at gmail.com. Now, for you. Yes, please. I'm not going to pick at the top of the board. I never do. Like Xander Shoffley, when I look at it, his numbers are ridiculous. Um, third, second, 16th, 10th, and 17th, and his only starts here. He's worse, he's worse in five times as 17th. Ninth at Farmers, third at Amex. I'm not going to pick him because he's going to be short, and there's no fun in that. So I don't have odds yet. I'm going to go one player who rates on top in my data, but he's not playing well at the moment, right? He's missed okay. his last two cuts here, um, but he has won before, four years ago. He finished 47th at Pebble, missed the cut at Amex, and really isn't playing good at all. That's Ricky Fowler. Um, okay. Ricky, Ricky is a he's a sort of guy that plays well in the desert, um, and he rates number one on pure data, pure strokes gain data for me. So he's there. Then I'm going right down the list. So this is where okay. it comes into it. So even though I rank all the guys on how I see them fitting the course, I, then I want to look at how they play here. This guy ranks 39th. He's only played here three times. Of the three times, he missed his cut last time around. 17th before that, third before that. He finished third at the Farmers. Didn't play last week at Pebble. I'm taking a bit of fly on Nate Lashley. So someone that, okay. um, you know, he'll be solid odds, but will hopefully give me a bit of run for my money. The last guy, um, I won't say he's my favorite caddy. Uh, my favorite caddy is still probably Gino, who um, caddies for... Um, or if you had Joel Damon's name there, um, <laughs> Aaron Fleener, who caddies for JT Poston. So JT's uh, he's another guy who rates probably you know top forty-five, top fifty on my sheet. Four times here, wouldn't say he's been an amazing golfer four years ago. Still finished 26th, 37th, 11th, and twenty-third. Twentieth at Pebble, but before that, his last three starts were eleventh at the Amex, sixth at the Sony, and fifth at the Century. So good form, stats look okay, plays well here. There's no fun if I pick, you know, Scotty Scheffler and Xander Shoffley. So I'm going to take those three guys and, um, yeah, hopefully give you a run. So you've got JT, Sahith, and Sungjae Im, and yep. I will have Ricky Fowler, Nate Lashley, and JT, the postman. I love that hey, Ricky pick. I love feeling? that Ricky pick. Confident? Yeah, I, look, 
my eternal fear when I put my balls to the wall and say picks, yeah. particularly against a man as dialed in as you, is that it's absolutely likely that a Nate Lashley <laughs> or a JT Poston yeah. will pop up and win this week. Well, the average odds, what, 250 to 1 this year. So we're probably right on target in those numbers. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is what, like, I'm glad in a sense of what the data tells me because I, I felt maybe I was playing a little safe. But I feel like, obviously, I didn't take a Scheffler. Or, I mean, what are we doing? What's the point in doing that? So yeah. I, I feel like I've hit a good balance. But you've no, definitely you taken some flyers that speak um, speak to the data that you're seeing. So I'll be fascinated to see. Really interesting. I love the Ricky pick. He's comfortably, um, besides Jordan, one of my favorite players, and I love that resurgence last year. So he has withered somewhat in the last he six has. months. It would be has. nice to see him back. I'm starting to build into the data lake something that's not quite ready yet, but I'm calling it like the sweet spot, and it effectively drags in all of it without me doing anything. It just assigns a number, but that number's drawn from how they're playing at the moment, how they played here before, and what does the stat say? Um when I look at that number, the number one player is Scotty Scheffler. No one would be shocked there. The number two player is Xander Shoffley. No one would be shocked there. Um, but then it really comes into a real big clump of players that are all pretty similar. And that's Hovland, Fowler, Homer, Eric Cole, Wyndham Clark, um, Ben Ann, Sahith Thagala. So Ricky's kind of a bit of an odd one there because he's not playing well, but everything else says he's good. And mm. the one that's way down the board but stacks up even better than Ricky in that sweet spot number is Nate Lashley. And it's just because his most recent formats out of his missed cuts have been top fives. So you can't argue with top fives. Top fives are a good golf. Phoenix is one of those tournaments. It's, I mean, it's definitely not a major, but it's one of those tournaments that I feel you can disregard week to week. Like I'm not too concerned about what they did at La Quinta two yeah. weeks ago. Uh, in terms of walking out into that atmosphere that they're going to get at Phoenix. It, it yep. does tend to be a, a, a trend bucker as opposed to a trendsetter. Yep. So Victor's the other one. Victor, like, immensely long. There might not be a better scrambler around the greens in golf in the last 12 months, which is weird to say mm. given he couldn't shit for shit at the beginning of his career. Yeah. Um, I don't know so that he loved the wet the, the wet surrounds last week, but you're right. Oh. He's, he's improved out of sight, absolutely out of sight. I almost went there, but I felt it was a little... Little safe, so yeah. I'm happy. I'm ha- I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm, I'm see where it where it lands, but I'm pretty comfortable with my my trio. I love it. That's good. Um, that's it. Um, anyone who wants anything on the email, like I said, three pup podcast at gmail.com or follow us on three pup podcast on Instagram. Nineteenth T, give us the pump. So tell tell us where 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 and when. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, where you get all your good podcasts, Spotify, Apple, um, primarily on the Instagram channel. Uh, we dabble a little bit elsewhere, but primarily on uh, the Instagram channel. So have a look at, at the 19th T podcast. Uh, we're once a week, much like you. We used to be religiously Monday nights, much like you, but we we chop and change a little bit depending on how life suits us now yeah. and, and increasingly uh, guests. So we'll probably be at Wednesday of this week. We're having a chat with Steph Kuriaku tomorrow yeah, night cool. um, before she heads back to the States. But generally record Monday, Tuesday, out Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, you'll get us each week, and it's perfect. Probably for the drive into work, you can do the three part par podcast because you get it straight up, and then you know by the time you drive home, we'll be ready to go. So there's your Tuesday. That's it sorted. <laughs> I agree, mate. That's a that sounds like a good plan. 
Uh, mate, really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you for your time, especially with the young family. Really appreciate it. Oh, Mike, it's been a pleasure, man. I, I apologize to you for the um, longer session and to your listeners who might be used to people giving a little shorter answers. It's probably the the tyranny of doing some talking myself as I maybe gave longer answers than no, you're fine. anticipated. But, mate, I, it was it was a pleasure to not drive. Yeah, one. that's it. You just had to answer, which is easy. It was delightful. And uh, love your work and what you do, mate. And it's been a great pleasure to get to know you a little bit better. So uh, it was an honour to be asked and be more than happy to come back in the future. Definitely will, mate. And, um, yeah, definitely have you back. Um, get Nathan as well. And, yeah, we can uh, chop up some Aussie tour. Love that. He, he would love it too, mate. We'll definitely get it done. Cool, mate. Thanks so much for your help. Good man, Mike.